We're also beginning a new sermon series today that um, is entitled simply, A Good Life. Uh, As we begin a new school year and a new season in the life of the church, it seems like a fitting time to think together about what does it mean to live a good life. We'll explore questions such as, um, what might it look like to live a full and abundant life in fellowship with God and each other? And to do this, we're turning to uh, some of the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible, uh, as well as as one week we'll spend in the story of Esther, which should be fun. This week and next, we'll be uh, looking at the book of Proverbs and a couple of selected texts for that. Proverbs is a book that's attributed to King Solomon because of its focus on everyday, uh, on wisdom in everyday living. It was likely written for young men who were preparing for life out in the real world. So seeking to give them some practical wisdom on what it looks like to live uh, a life in in fellowship with God and one another and to navigate life's difficulties. Our text today is um, from the first chapter of Proverbs and it is our first introduction to Lady Wisdom who is a personification of the ideal, the idea of wisdom, whose voice we'd all be uh, well served to heed today. Friends, I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter the word of God through the first chapter of Proverbs, beginning with the 20th verse. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the square, she raises her voice. At the busiest corner, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof. I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you have refused, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded, And because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you. When panic strikes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all of my reproof. Therefore they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be sated with their own devices. For waywardness kills the simple, and complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread or disaster. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. There's a wonderful sitcom that was on the air until recently, uh, simply called The Good Place. In this series, the characters find themselves in a strange afterlife, an afterlife that was decided on a point system. Throughout one's life, if you did good things, you would get positive points. If you did bad things, you would get negative points. If you reached a certain 
threshold of positive points by the time your life came to an end, you were welcomed with open arms into the good place. If not, well, then you go to the bad place. Now, while this show was very comedic, it did sadly reflect how many of us think about the afterlife today in a way that completely negates the core Christian concept of grace, that we can't earn salvation and that God chooses to save us, not because of anything we do, but through God's love for us in Christ. But, hey, it was a funny show. And theology nerds like me liked it because one of the characters in the show was a moral philosophy professor and would frequently reference key figures and ideas from philosophy and ethics. But the theological issues in the show notwithstanding, its idea of morality requires the the viewer to ask themselves, what is a good life? What does it mean to live a life in fellowship with God and one another? This is what we'll explore together this fall, friends, uh, looking to the wisdom tradition of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, to help us understand what a good, full, and abundant life with God might look like. We begin the series this morning thinking about what it means to have a good mind. Throughout the Bible, it's clear that a good mind is a vital part of a life well-lived. A treasured mantra in our Reformed Presbyterian tradition is the life of the mind in the service of God. When we study Scripture, or when we seek to diligently learn more about our creation, about the world, about ourselves, to try to make the world a better, fairer, more just place, these acts are in themselves a service to God. We treasure the work of learning, of seeking and wrestling with the wisdom of Scripture and the wisdom of the world alike. As our lesson tells us, though, friends, this is not a new concept to our um, tradition It's not as new as the Presbyterian Church by any means, but it goes way, way back to the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible. And this is expressed a lot throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, to be fair, wisdom is so much more than just information and knowledge about facts and figures. Wisdom has so much more to do with what you do with that information and how it affects your life. Writer E.O. Wilson said it best on this distinction between wisdom and knowledge or information when he claimed that we are drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom. Seems like these are needed words right now, or this idea is so needed as yesterday our nation marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a time when we're thinking back to that day and the reflection in our minds of how do we make sense of tragedy? How do we make sense of the world when it doesn't go as planned? Where is God in all this? What do we do next? The book of Proverbs and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament is a wonderful place to turn. As I said before, the book of Proverbs is written for youth. Uh, In this culture, it meant written for young men who are just beginning their lives. They're getting practical teachings on how to navigate this crazy, chaotic, unpredictable world that we live in. 
Now, a prominent feature, uh, the, the educators in the room could call it part of the pedagogy of the writer of Proverbs, are these calls from two women, traditionally known as Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. To be clear, these aren't real people, friends. Rather, they are personifications of these ideals, these ideas, wisdom and folly. Each represents a different path, seen far, far too often. Following one leads to a good life. The other, well, Proverbs has plenty to tell us about the sorrows that follow fully, fully and foolishness as seen in our lesson. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, both of these women try to convince passers-by of their respective pathways, trying to get them to listen and follow them. And our reading here is the introduction to woman wisdom and her initial effort for the reader to listen to her, to follow her call. She cries out in the streets, in the public square, in the busiest part of town. If she was in Warrington, she'd be on Courthouse Square calling out to all of us, trying to convince us to follow her path, to avoid folly and foolishness. Remember again, these aren't real people. Rather, it's the ideal of wisdom that's personified in a woman crying out in the center of town. Wisdom is a crucial term in Scripture. The word chokmah in Hebrew and Sophia in Greek, it's both an ideal, but it's also a theological concept, meaning it's part of who we know God to be. The Sophia of God, the wisdom of God, has been attributed to all three members of the Trinity throughout the centuries, but it's most commonly associated with Christ. Case in point is the, the, um, the well-known church in Turkey, the um, Hagia Sophia. What this means is that following wisdom, friends, is synonymous with following God, with God being at work within you. As Christians who seek to have a good mind, we trust that the Sophia, the wisdom of our limitless God, is at work not just in our theologians, but in our school teachers, our doctors, our medical professionals, our scientists, our historians, our lawyers, our policy experts, our journalists. I could keep going, but I think you get the point. One way to think about all this, friends, is that all of their work, all these people were saying is, is the wisdom of God working in and through them, is woman wisdom herself crying out in the public square. The question is, will we listen? Our passage is, is just as much an invitation from woman wisdom as it is a warning about the dangers of not following her call. For our purposes, we might best understand folly as the arrogant belief that we have nothing else to learn. Therefore, we can ignore new ideas, new teachings from experts that might challenge and spark our curiosity for what else might be possible. Woman wisdom in our text says, How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? I don't know about you, friends, but I thought these were some pretty convicting words for us to hear today. In this divisive time when we can't even agree as a community as to who the experts are. How long will we hate knowledge? 
How long will we refuse to listen to them? How long will we refuse to listen to the wisdom of what our children need to thrive in adulthood in schools? How long will we not listen to the wisdom of experts on what we need to do to keep this virus at bay? Or make our community a more just and equitable place for all? Or how might we make our planet a safer, healthier place for all of God's creatures to live? Friends, wisdom is crying out to us on the street from every corner in town, calling us to listen. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't challenge what we hear. Thinking critically is also a crucial path of walking the path of wisdom. But so is curiosity and openness to new ideas, even and especially when they are at odds with previously held knowledge. Our reading and the entire wisdom tradition of Scripture, friends, reminds us that no one, no interest, no party, no ideology can claim to have a monopoly on wisdom but God alone. Such a mindset, friends, of this sort of biblical wisdom, I believe, can truly heal the divides, the polarization we experience in our world today. That it might spark us to find ways to openly listen and hear one another when we have different points of view, that we might reflect and discern together on what it might mean to walk in wisdom's path. So friends, what does this look like for us today? How can we heed wisdom's call in our own lives? How might we follow the pathway of wisdom and avoid that of folly? Now, now that the school year is beginning, and friends, as parents, we face the day-in, day-out routine of trying to figure out how our kids' day at school went with the um, age-old question, how was school today? I remember being asked this question every day as a child, to which I'd give the typical teenage boy reply of fine, good, or plenty of other times just a little grunt, uh. <laughs> But now, as a parent, I'm trying to figure out ways to uh, ask the same question. Now, I was fascinated with something I read uh, recently by a New York Times columnist named Ron Lieber, who talked about a prize, Nobel Prize-winning physicist named Isidore Roddy. Roddy claimed that his mother made him a scientist without him ever intending to do so. Instead of the typical, how was your day at school today, or what did you learn today, Roddy's mother would simply ask him at the dinner table each night, did you ask a good question today? Roddy claims that it was this ritual that turned him into a scientist. It instilled in him the value and significance of asking a question, of figuring out what he needed to learn, what he wanted to learn, and set him off on a lifetime of learning and curiosity. It set him off to follow the way of wisdom. It allowed him to take initiative in what he learned. It empowered him to seek the answers to the questions he had. And it was this daily ritual that became the very way of Roddy's life as he followed wisdom's path. Friends, the way of wisdom is the way of God. It is part of who we know God to be and, part, and the way we know God at work in us. 
Proverbs and Lady Wisdom make the convincing case that a good mind is a vital piece of a good life. That a good mind is a curious mind, always seeking to ask good questions, always challenging, always trying to dig deeper and ask and figure out this world that we live in. Friends, may we seek to walk together in the way of wisdom and avoid folly. May we try to remain curious and open while asking challenging questions that we might grow more and more in our relationship with God and one another, especially with those whom we disagree. May it be so, friends.